This just in, it's officially fall, and that means a lot of things to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. The leaves are changing colors. It's time to break out the pumpkins, Mm -hmm. break out the football. And and most importantly, break out the truly hard seltzer. See, truly has only 100 calories, but has 5% ABV and only one gram of sugars per container. It's the can't-miss drink of the season, so try truly hard seltzer today. Truly. Drink what you truly want. Hello, Futurelings. This is Ken. And this is John. We're going to take a second here before the show begins to celebrate the holiday winter solstice season. Mm -hmm. The solstice. The solstice, we call it. It's like the Soviets. The poultice. If you put a poultice on a Soviet because he's turning red, it's a solstice. Just to mention that uh, with the advent of the holiday season in late November 2019. I like how you threw advent in there. That's nice. Yeah, it's yeah. just a lot of just a lot of subtle Christianity every time I talk. I'm offended by the Starbucks cups that don't have a manger on them. Every day I open a little door in Ken and I get another <laughs> tiny piece of chocolate. Uh, you know, we we were so thankful for your support around the Thanksgiving season that we uh, after months of putting it off, we finally rolled out a series of delightful benefits and rewards for those who have supported the show. We've been we've been so grateful uh, for the Patreon support of our program. It has eased our transition away from our former corporate masters and made us feel like independent operators and futurelings ourselves. And so we wanted to give back in this time of giving and actually have uh, Patreon levels that have different uh, rewards. So give yourself the gift of perks this holiday season. What are some of our perks, Ken? Well, anybody who donates at any of the Patreon tiers receives probably the main perk, which is a monthly omnibus episode of Addenda Mm. that goes reader feedback, pointing out uh, corrections and additions and addictions, possibly. A lot of presentlings have information they'd like to share with us about various topics. Sometimes it's because they live in the town that we discussed. Sometimes it's because they are uh, lapidiatrists. If there's one thing all omnibus listeners have in common, it's they have information to share. <laughs> so we uh, and we wanted to make sure that one in the time capsule. That's as well. right. That's right. We're going to cover cover all the bases, and so it's a it's a it's a fun listen, a fascinating listen. A new monthly episode uh, uh, available to all our donors at higher donation levels. You get access to a, a video, a image archive. Um, show notes and uh, mailbag oddities and whatnot. You're going to be astonished by the difference between our show notes. Mine are in pencil and John's are in ink. That's yeah, basically it. That's the main. Ken's are legible and mine are not. John's have pentagrams on them. often do. (laughs) Uh, At even higher tiers, you can get an autographed copy of those show notes uh, mailed to you uh, or even uh, the ability to choose a show topic and, Rocket your preferred omnibus idea to the top of the queue. Yeah, we're going to try and make that as difficult as possible uh, <laughs> for you to achieve, but it is a perk. It may be collaborative if your idea is terrible or offensive, uh, and uh, or even uh, video chats with the two of us. So go to patreon.com slash omnibusproject, see what tempts you, what tickles your fancy, mm, what mm. craveable new benefits there are for mm. you to enjoy. Crave. Crave. My favorite word. Moist. Happy holidays, everyone. Yes. And, uh...
receiving this message. We are Ken Jennings and John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1211.jb2111, certificate number 42537. Square dancing. Everybody join hands, circle up feet and eight, hand rings, circle to the left. Reverse, single file, lady in the lead. When you get back home, face the partner, dose to dose. Element left. Dose I do your partner. Then your quarter gal. Cast your mind back, if you will, back to middle school. I'm right there. <laughs> we should explain that uh, in our, t- you know, people always want, you know, scientists are interested in the mating rituals of other species. Right, of course. So we should explain that a weird and arbitrary courtship ritual of our era and our species, at least in this culture, was to take the uh, allotted time of day in which young people normally did sports and fitness and for one week a year... Um, Make them do kind of an archaic and arbitrary dance form. That can't possibly survive even unto now, right? Our, we were part of some... some uh, Experiment? S- well, some late 70s, early 80s retro fad, like hee-haw-based uh, appreciation of Appalachian culture. I could not... We get in trouble, by the way, when we say Appalachian. All the Appalachians Appalachian? write in and say, you need to say Appalachian. And I'm not going to say that. You know, I have a good friend whose parents are from Tennessee who named her Appalachia. Really? And and she goes by Apple, but she is not she, called Appalachia. Well, does she spell it like a fruit or does she spell it A-P-P-A-L? Like she, a Paul? She spells it like the like the mountain range. So A-P-P-A-L. Yeah. That's weird. Appalachia. Uh, uh, excuse me, a, a Paul? <laughs> I have your latte, a, a Paul? <laughs> Appalachia. I mean, it's. Just, I think it depends on whether you're in Kentucky or Tennessee, doesn't it? Or do you think there are some parts of the Appalachian slash Atchins where there's a divide? Do you think there's I do. a line? I do. I don't think they say Appalachia in in uh, in, Appalachia. in North Carolina. Maybe that's what the Hatfields and the McCoys were fighting about. That might be. They I'm, were on opposite sides of the of the vowel line. I'm willing to get my blunderbuss out and stand on one side of it's the like long creek. a. Somebody's <laughs> holding a pat a pitchfork and yelling long a, and some guy with a hoe is yelling short a. Uh, well, I would have thought the same thing too that this was a relic, but I recently discovered that here in urban. Seattle, Washington, of all places, my middle school kids were still doing a square dance unit every year in PE. Really? What? I guess, you what know. What is square dance teaching us? For, for 30, 38 weeks, you need to do sports and fitness. 
For one week, you need to hold a parachute. Right, That's right. Oh, very, that was the best. Very, every kid loves the parachute. <laughs> oh, the parachute was the best. We should do a show on World War II surplus parachutes. Yeah. Uh, for, those who, for those who didn't experience this long, long in the future, probably we're talking to sentient octopuses that, that basically are parachutes. Uh, you could definitely hold a big circular piece of oh, cloth all in, by in, yourself. Your, in your many times. Yeah, you could do the whole thing. <laughs> but what we used to do in gym class was the entire class would – have a World War II surplus, and not a vented parachute or anything, but just a circular... Surround a big circular silk cloth. With a, like and it has a hole in like the Like you're pitching a circus big top. And then we would all lift it up kind of like we were, uh, we were doing an Eskimo Olympics blanket toss. Wait, a what? An, an EOBT? Yeah. Is that the thing? Well, so there are a lot of... This uh, is now a uh, di- digression from the digression. <laughs> when I was a kid... There was, uh, and I think this still exists, but the Eskimo Olympics were um, like a sporting event that happened once a year in Alaska where all the, you know, people from all the villages came and they did all of these sports that were unique to uh, the, like, residents of the northern part of Alaska or the coastal. This is actually Inuit people doing the events or is it a bunch of white kids calling their tundra activities Eskimo Olympics? It was real, uh, you know, people from the villages. Huh. And the and the sports were crazy. Like uh, there was one where they hang a, a like a like a little kind of a hacky sack, a ball from a string, and uh, and the the game was to try and kick it with both feet at the same time from a standing position. So you're just doing flying drop kicks at yeah. a at a at a hacky sack at a, at a hacky sack that's basically standing. You're not running up to it. It's standing and it's hanging from the string. You're standing in front of it, and you just. You just kick it. This is basically and, how Luke Skywalker learned to use the force. <laughs> and then they raise the ball. Like the, the, the Oh, so whoever can who it's can, like the limbo. Whoever can kick the ball the highest. And then blanket toss was a thing where, you know, you get a bunch of people around a circular uh blanket or like a I think originally like a skin, and then everyone pulls at the same time and you fly. I mean they they, they catapult you into the air. I've done it. I've done it. I've seen it done with a picnic blanket, never with a walrus skin, but yeah, I, well, I kind of like it. You know, there's 30 people around it. So when everybody pulls at once and everybody, when they're really clicked in, they can just, they can send you flying. I just like this on YouTube videos of drunk people wiping out. That's, that's my, my faces of death is watching blanket toss go awry. Uh, but yeah, so the, the parachute variant of it, you would just kind of lift it into the air and it would become a dome and then waft down. Well, and then you would climb inside. Well, sometimes you could. And, and you could sit on it. I went to one school where you were not allowed to go under the parachute. What? I don't, I don't know what had happened. That was the best part of it. It was probably named for the kid that screwed it up for everybody else. The Scott B rule. <laughs> because when you... We can't go under the parachute. When you go under it and pull it down, right. then it retains air for a long time and just gradually sinks down on top little, of you. And you're in a multicolored <laughs> dome. Often yeah. it had weird colored stripes. Maybe it was as the thing collapsed, a couple of kids started necking and then they wouldn't come out uh that's usually yeah usually when you can't do something at school it's because somebody was necking somebody screwed it up by necking so but there was also a a week of square and my kids still do it i was asking my both my kids went to the same middle schools here but nope it's the same thing they they turn on some old-timey sound <laughs> clip of a of a caller saying element left with your corner gal right and basically doing the same like auctioneer pattern <laughs> yeah my daughter is uh is uh, maybe one of the taller girls so she always gets paired with the tallest guy yeah but she's past the age where she would dwarf him so now she's always just dancing with some six foot 
guy, uh-huh. square dancing. And recently, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, my kids were went, went to a, like a, a church youth Halloween activity, and uh, we had not told them that we had gotten the email saying that the Halloween activity was going to center around square dancing. Wow. And I know this makes it seem like Mormons are weirdos who don't observe Halloween, but have to do some lame <laughs> harvest festival instead. This is not true. Is Mor- that right? Do you- Mor- Mormons dress up and trick or treat or whatever. Okay, but good. somebody at some level thought, you know, it would be fun for our little thing is to do a barn dance. Of course. So we told the we told the kids, well, we'll drop you off at the at the church. What's the activity? I don't know. I think it's <laughs> I think it's Halloween themed. <laughs> well, it's interesting about American culture in particular, and and this was super true when I was a kid that the rest of the year we don't really think about. Um, we don't really think about the colonial era. We do we do around 4th of July when when we're reminded of the Boston Tea Party. But hardly no in no cultural ways. Yeah, like just, nobody wears a, a three-cornered hat. No, a, we just sort of we you know plays a fife. But but we but those are some that's some of the imagery, right? The mm. the uh, the fife player, the drummer um and the flag bearer. But really around harvest time we go crazy for not colonial America, but like post-colonial America, right? The headless horsemen, the the pumpkins, the sleigh rides. I mean, those are all sort of 1830s to 1850s cultural notions. Thanksgiving being we do the pilgrim thing, we do the 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 1600 culture. But it's really from an 1850s lens. Yeah, and Thanksgiving is a revival too. Right. right? That's, that's a late 19th century. We should have that. Yeah, I guess it's a, just when some... It's a revival of a revival. Yeah, we always talk about these waves of nostalgia, you know, the 70s for the 50s and currently for the 80s or 90s. But in the 70s, we had nostalgia for the 1880s, <laughs> nostalgia for the it just got, 1720s. It just got stuck to the calendar. Well, that, this is the story about why... It's what I want to walk you through, the weird way in which square dancing became part of our modern vernacular. Because you're right. It's Many countries have a vibrant folk dancing tradition. Right. I, I, you know, I'm just going to assume that if, if I'm in Lithuania, it wouldn't be weird for my school to have a troupe that does Lithuanian folk dancing. And that's a cultural event where people will come to see the... You know, or you know, I'm talking, or Greece, or well, Shenyun in China. Or- so I was in Estonia earlier this year, and they have uh, what's called the Song Festival, and in fact, their um, their sort of traditional dancing and singing is widely regarded as how they maintained an Estonian identity throughout the Russian period, because it wasn't just a Soviet period; the Russians were in the Baltics for centuries trying to just exterminate the Baltic regional cultures, not exterminate, but you know, they made Russian language mandatory. They just, you always do teach it in the school. Yeah. They, they, they tried to assimilate those countries and it was really the song and dance of the Baltic peoples that, that um, preserved their culture. So now they really celebrate it. Uh, And And there's costumes, there's costumes, there's very elaborate, Dances that involve hundreds of people dancing synchronously. Um, is that is that both synchronously and erroneously? It's synchronously and erroneously <laughs> synchronously. It's so good, it's felonious. <laughs> and uh, and you know, it's kind of phenomenal. It's weirdly nationalist too. 
And that's the problematic thing about... <laughs> what are, they, are they just chanting about how no, no Turkish immigrants as they no, do it? Or? Well, no, but that, that is the thing about like a, a kind of uh, native dance mm-hmm. when you're talking about a Baltic or a Balkan country. Uh, it, it is also, you know, these are the songs of our ethnic people. This is how we kicked out the Ottomans <laughs> and the Slavs and the right. Tartars or whoever. But it doesn't really invite the the recent Somali immigrants <laughs> to also participate in this, you know, very, very like uh, um, dialectic kind of. Hey, they could join, I guess. Really? You'd let some Somali guy wear the costume? Oh, no. no. Not really. I mean, they could, wear, not. <laughs> they could wear the costume of the, uh, of like, uh, they could wear the costume of the Moor. <laughs> right? <laughs> Ram trucks. Motor Trend's back-to-back truck of the year. We're not bragging about it. We're just being honest. The landscape's changed. And we've changed with it. Stronger, more powerful, innovative, and more luxurious. You think an award like this would give us permission to take a victory lap? Well, you'd be dead wrong. The only thing on our mind is getting better, delivering harder for our customers, and pushing the limits of what's possible. Because when you lead from within, you redefine what a truck can do. Ram. Built to serve. Ram is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. So yeah, so there's a weird tension when you have a folk dance. It's not just like, yay, this is who we are. Let's let's remember our ancestors. But there is some element of this is who we were compared to others, and this is kind of the image we want to preserve. Right. And as you say, that can be leveraged for suspect reasons, which is uh, kind of relevant to the story of sport dancing. <laughs> in fact, uh, I I was I I didn't know any of this until very recently. I happened to see a. a this is not something that will exist in 10 years. So this is really going to date the show. But like I saw kind of a tweet thread by a writer named Robin Panaki, a kind of ranting about the origins of square dance. Let's hope that it doesn't. But you know, 10 years ago, I don't think we would have said tweets will survive until 2020. <laughs> they stopped putting them in the Library of Congress. So <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah. They were, remember for a while they were going to archive every tweet? I published a book of my tweets. You did. I mean, I wonder if it's a Trump era thing. Where, I didn't do it. Where people someone have, did it. <laughs> right. You, if you did it, that would have been sad. That's weird. That would have been Luckily, weird. Luckily, someone else was reached a publisher, out to publisher, yeah. Others were interested. But yeah, I think it's a Trump era thing where people have decided. These are no longer. We don't want to maybe incentivize identifying the government with its Twitter identity. Right. Uh, but you were saying. But yeah, so this, so the, the, she, uh, this uh, writer does this kind of long, a Wonkat writer does this long rant about the origins of uh, Square Dancing and later wrote it up for Quartz, and I started reading up on it, and I was sh- shocked and appalled at uh, what I considered to be just a, a pure and innocent art form. For one thing, Square Dancing really doesn't exist. I mean, right. when we say Square Dancing, we could mean different things. Like, literally, it could be any dance you would do in a square. A four-sided form with a different couple on, a different couple on each side, so four couples, that then do whatever moves you can do across a square and to the... Right. You know, toward the your left corner, toward your right corner, and so forth. Uh, and I saw this a lot in watching these Estonian dances. Tons they were of little geometric couples in, in 
form, forums where they traded partners and they went around in circles. I mean, very much square dancing. Uh, it, it, yeah, it originates in Europe, um, in like Restoration era England, and even before a lot of the kind of country dances, uh, courtly dances you would do at a at a party. You know, if you've seen a a Jane Austen movie or something, a lot of those have those strict geometrical forms. It's a way to touch someone of the opposite sex, in right? A, in a pretty straight laced period, and. To be honest, that's probably a lot of what it's being leveraged for in middle school. Right. This idea that uh, this will teach some basic level of courtesy to the opposite sex. Sure. Uh, as you're navigating the, that weird divide between ignoring the opposite sex and just obsessing about, if you're heterosexual, the opposite sex. But also forcing kids off of the wall of the dance and into the center, mm-hmm. which in a way is kind of a public service as someone who spent, I was a wall hugger. Yeah. Most of the middle school hugging the wall. My, my signature move was to uh, offer to help out with the tickets. Cause then you could hang out out front and you could talk to people, right? but you weren't going to have to like hug the corners of the gym when the slow dance started. It's amazing to think back at the hugging the wall and girls would stare at you. Come, come walk around and stare at you, stare at me. Uh, but I was terrified of being so terrified of being rejected by them that even though it's a dance with the sole purpose of dancing and the and someone is standing there looking at you, basically saying, "Ask me to dance," we never could break. They could never, of course, ask me to dance, and I never. I don't think I asked a single girl to dance in all of middle school. I just stood there on the side and and. Uh, and play Devo songs in my head. Right. Take My Breath Away by Berlin Starts, and I, I stare at my shoes. To this day, I'll do it. If I hear Take My Breath Away, I'll just stare at my shoes. That's that's the difference in our age. In our age, cause it's, it's not that big, but... Yeah, but Take My Breath Away was certainly like like that, high school for me. It's in, what is that, 86? It's in Top Gun. 86, right? Yeah, middle, middle school would have been, for me, it would have been like um, Blondie. Yeah. You know, still like roller skate music. Um. So, so you, so that's what you, you know, you get the, the couples out on the floor. And, uh, so the idea that we have that square dancing is kind of a countryish barn dance really has nothing to do with its squareness. Like technically a square dance is any dance you do in a square. Right. A and French could a be French, very fancy. Yeah. A French quadrille is a square dance. And to this day, different regions of America have different traditions in new England. The, the traditional square dances that are preserved by the lobster men or whatever are <laughs> now future links. These are not men who are half lobster. Right. In our time. Or even men who are whole lobsters <laughs> right <laughs> men men with the proportions of of lobsters or, or vice versa people who catch lobsters and traps sorry uh, trigger warning uh they'll they'll do these kind of french quadrille inspired dances you oh know, that are very mannered yeah i mean the appalachian ones that we imagine probably come more from Clogging. Maybe a, maybe a gale. Yeah, there's clogging. The irish kaylee has square shaped dances so those kind of that scotch irish tradition would have come into to the Appalachian dance. Stop um, doing that. <laughs> I don't want to get the letters. Send, I'm going to be the Appalachian talker send, here. Send John the letters. Yeah. Uh, in the Southeast, you know, the honestly, the call and response kind of uh, tradition in square dance where someone says something and then everybody does it, that comes from an African-American tradition. You know, So that's what you would see in kind of a Louisiana-style square dance. But none of this gets us close to the cowboy kind of square dancing, which is the culture... We associate it with it today. Right. And it, it has evolved into line dancing, right? That's that's where all that energy went in uh, trying to keep it modern, trying to keep it. I mean, if you think about the Macarena, it's essentially 
a, a square dance that has spread out into a line. All these dance crazes just exist to make dances easy to learn. Right. You know, well, you don't know how to, you don't feel, you're too inhibited to kind of just let it ride. Dance like nobody's watching. Like, let me, well, let me tell you. People have so much fun doing them in lines. And there's something, I guess, really appealing about watching everyone do something that's super synchronized. I like watching the wave at a sports event. Yeah. I'm awful. Uh, do you stand up and do the wave? Do you I, do you ever let a wave pass where you don't join? No, I always catch a wave. Yeah, me too. I and I'll always do wave. YMCA. And if somebody's doing the Macarena, it's very hard not to do the Macarena. I won't do YMCA, but I but and I won't do the Macarena. You have a YMCA line? Well, I mean, I did it so much when YMCA was like like on the platter uh, that <laughs> I feel like now I just I can't. Just say it's appropriation of gay culture. You cannot, yeah, in good conscience, I can't, I can't do it. Do the YMCA. That's why I can't do the Macarena either. <laughs> but this, you know, twenty-eight of fifty U.S. states, I believe, now have this kind of Western-style square dancing as an official state dance. What square dance? Square dancing is the official is the official state dance by decree of state legislators in the majority of American states. I say again, what? And clearly it's a dance that can't exist. The, na- the na- you know, to the degree that there's a folk dance of the American plains and Rocky mountains, it would be a native American dances. Sure. It would a be, Hopi dance. It would be worn dances and rain dances. And yeah, and Hopi and Navajo dances. And, and yet we kind of say, Oh yeah, here's what's indigenous to this region. Uh, a, a bunch of stacked bales of hay and a guy with a fiddle, uh, right? Uh, gingham shirts, <laughs> gingham shirts. But but that is uh, that is that weird um, frontier nostalgia. Yeah, that I don't that that I think people in certainly the southern half of the United States really cling to as a contemporary identity. Right? That's the that's the natural American self. Like un, uh, unencumbered by radio and TV, and of course, it's pretty much invented. It's as invented as any as the twist or the macarena or any twentieth century invention. In fact, it kind of is a twentieth century invention. You were talking about this kind of early nineteenth century nostalgia for sleigh rides and courier and Ives right. and whatnot. Uh, She'll be coming around the mountain, Washington Irving. So this kind of goes back to. Uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Of course, everything does. Is that right to you? Everything goes back to Longfellow. <laughs> for me, for me uh. So in 1923, Henry Ford, very interested in Americana, started buying up just acres and acres of the land around Sudbury, Massachusetts. And he even bought the Wayside Inn, which was a beloved old building where Longfellow had set his Tales from a Wayside Inn. It's kind of an American colonial Canterbury Tales kind of a thing where a bunch of people on a cold night surround a fire at this New England inn and tell stories. Right. And they tell famous stories. You know, Paul Revere's ride, listen, my child, and you shall hear. Right. That's it's, his big one. Right? Yeah. That's, the, one that's his greatest hits. Did they, did they all do the song of Hiawatha? <laughs> Cause that's a, that's a little bit harder to. Yeah. They had the Indian chief guy from uh, village people come in and they all did the Hiawatha dance. Uh, no, but uh, Paul Revere's ride comes from tales of a wayside inn, and, uh, you know, in the early 20th century. Um, it still existed, the Wayside Inn. It's still t- uh, Henry Ford was its last private owner. Spoilers. A board of trustees later took it over, and now it's some kind of public historical site. I think maybe a state one. Mm-hmm. But uh, Henry Ford really wanted to have this kind of a... It's the same impulse I think you see in Walt Disney 20 or 30 years later, trying to create this American Main Street in Anaheim, California. Right. He wanted to have this kind of preserved, just beautiful New England town with all of our old traditions, our, our churning butter and our catching lobster and our 
bobsled rides or whatever. Right. And uh, the Whiteside Inn has this beautiful ballroom. And Henry Ford wants to have dances there. He hires a guy named Benjamin B. Lovett, who's a, a folk dancing expert of some kind, to come in and teach him uh, square dances. Uh-huh. And he he loves learning square dances with Mrs. Ford. And he thinks, wouldn't it be great if others could have the same benefit I have? But they can't call on Benjamin Lovett. So he goes back to Michigan and he uh, builds Lovett Hall, this big, beautiful ballroom with a teak floor on his property. And he has dances and parties. He's he's one of the richest men in America. Did they also institute like reinstitute the stocks in the <laughs> like out in front of these places? If anybody would, it would be Henry Ford, right? Put a put a scarlet letter on They burn a witch yeah. every uh <laughs> every uh what is it called? Sawain. Uh and uh, of course because he's Henry Ford, he's got famously he's got a uh, tens of thousands of employees whose culture he is trying to influence. Right. So all the employees now have breaks to learn square dancing. He's making them eat hot cereal every morning <laughs> for their constitution. <laughs> yes, he's got a theory about yogurt and he's got a theory about <laughs> square dancing. And uh, and he publishes a book. Uh, maybe somebody approached him like with your tweets, or maybe this is totally a vanity effort. But in 1926, he publishes Good Morning, colon after this there's a subtitle <laughs> good morning colon no it's a very lengthy subtitle so imagine the book says good morning yes. and then in smaller type after a sleep of 25 years old-fashioned dancing is being revo- revived by mr and mrs henry ford uh, a sleep of only 25 years <laughs> i don't know why he, i guess he thought that the turn of the century all this kind right. of barbershoppy <laughs> stuff had ended i have mustard in my refrigerator this 25 years old <laughs> Certainly, if you go to your parents' house today, Futurelings, and you open the medicine cabinet, nothing will be younger than 25 years. So what he's responding to is the flapper era. He he doesn't like short hair on women, and uh, he doesn't like all this jazz music. It's it's cultural retrenchment. Let, let me get to that uh, okay. in a second. Right. But yes, given what we know about Henry Ford, you would not be surprised to hear that he thinks things were better. 25 years, that's when he was a young man. Right. So it's it's as Before it ever Clara was. Bow, Everybody's Bow. saying, you know, Mike, I didn't have YouTubers and I turned out just fine. Right. Or it's, right, 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 you know, right. it goes back to Socrates. Video uh, games. And he, so he, uh, he, this becomes a real social cause for Henry. He, 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 he's, will always get on a radio mic and tell America how if you don't have square dancing, your youth will be deficient when it comes to manners and courtesy and social training. So it, was, it is the opposite sex stuff. He was literally the first one to go, automobile, automobile. <laughs> yeah, he introduced <laughs> megaphones. <laughs> His, the Model T was originally just a megaphone factory that he repurposed. Uh, and he even gets a radio show. Uh, Henry Ford. Yeah, you can turn on your radio dial in the late 20s and listen to early American dance music led by Mr. Benjamin Lovett, who becomes Henry Ford's kind of uh, cultural stand-in, leading the Henry Ford Orchestra. Wow. There's a Henry Ford Orchestra playing barn dance music. Wow. Uh, And, of course, he he wants the kids. Does he host it? I mean, he's not famous for his charisma. No, I I can't imagine him hosting it, right? Right, right. But his name is on it. He's he's the celebrity, and I'm sure he's pouring money into it, right? Right, He's He's the sponsor. Uh, and he's, he wants to get it in schools as well. So this becomes an educational movement. Uh, it's so strange because I think of it as being so lowbrow, square dancing. Yes. And these are people I would assume were always aspiring to be a highbrow. For most of the 20th century, the ideal American life in everybody's minds, even if they lived in and loved cities, was some beautiful little 
Main Street USA in Missouri. Right. And like that was kind of everybody's default utopia. It's like half the Twilight Zone. I think we talked about this. Half, <laughs> half every Twilight Zone episode, like the afterlife or the dream utopia is small just, town America. Just some town where somebody's riding one of those weird bikes with a big wheel and a small wheel and people are singing barbershop. Why do 80% of the people in America live in coastal cities? Right. We, or more, right? Or what is the statistic? I don't know what to, it, it died soon thereafter. Today we have none of this. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know what our closest version of yearning for a life, a rural life that nobody wants. Well, we have none of it here in our, in our coastal utopia, but of course this is still the, this is still the, uh, the, um, country radio. It's the country radio version. It's the, it's the support our troops version of, of like what is best about the country. And what has been lost in this um, in this great migration to all these immoral cities on the coast where people are doing worse dances, but, bo- booty dances. But you're not seeing this from the young people growing up in these towns. I mean, you're not you're not seeing this from the young adults in these towns. Well, except uh, I guess I in mean, coded ways you are. If all the songs you listen to on the radio are about your your jeans and your trucks and your yeah, hound right. dog and your best girl. If you're still if you are still curving your baseball hat brim instead of wearing it flat, <laughs> I mean that has become the 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 cult the cult the the ultimate cultural signal right if you have a flat brim on your baseball cap then you are there's a geometric angle yeah there's, you are there's a quadratic equation that represents the difference between rural and urban America. But if you curl it, I mean basically you can judge the amount of hickitude of somebody by how curled that hat brim is. <laughs> that would be interesting if you could try to write the parabolic equation. Yeah. For uh, yeah, here's the here's the amount at which you uh you You've chanted lock her up at a rally, and here's the amount at which. uh, And a lot of it is based on having to take your hat off and put it in your back pocket to go into church. I never even realized that. Yeah, that's That's the origin of it. Yeah, you curl it because, I mean, you got to tuck it in somewhere when you take your hat off to respect your elders. But this is within our lifetime. Yeah, yeah. You know, like even you and I grew up in an era where. You know, the heartland was, you know, represented by, you know, a good liberal like Bruce Springsteen, of course, would put his hat in his back pocket, but then rant about the capitalist shutting the factory down. Sure, and live in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, he was a fake. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we watched Hee Haw. I mean, I sat, I sat there religiously consuming Hee Haw, enough that I know all of Minnie Pearl's best lines. I think that was just the coincidence of that being programmed for old people in syndication, and then, you know, you and I just, you know, it, it was the only thing where people were telling vaudeville-style jokes that kids could get. Right, 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 right. Yeah, there was no swears. Because all the variety shows had been canceled, so this was the last one. Carol Burnett got a lot of laughs from, like, innuendo. There was no innuendo on, on uh, Hee Haw. Absolutely. There's cleavage, though. I think we talked about this in the Rural Purge show. Hee Haw had more cleavage than any other American show before or since, maybe in total. God bless it. <laughs> uh, so Henry Ford is successful in getting square dancing into the schools, and uh, it spawns people like Lloyd Pappy Shaw, who is a Colorado Springs principal who becomes very enthusiastic about just the uh, pedagogical power of uh, promenade and do-si-do and Alamand left. And how does that work? How does that teach our kids anything other than... <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, well, you can appeal to the coordination, the hand-eye coordination it teaches, okay. All right. you know, it's, it's a, it's a fitness exercise. It's, it's like doing your calisthenics, which I'm sure a lot of schools would have spent the morning doing. But it's wholesome rather than being out, uh, at lookout point watching the submarine races. Yes. It's boys and girls interacting, but in a way you, you want to visualize as an adult. Right. And then you can pretend 
they're they're not doing anything else that make out point. Right. No sex until marriage. And uh, so he so Lloyd Pappy Shaw starts a movement of schools having like exhibition teams. And so from 1939 to 1951, he he starts this culture of of traveling square dance troops that go around and actually compete like an intramural sport. Uh, and so it's like stepping or, I mean, what, what, yeah, I yeah, mean, exactly. But maybe stepping it, evolved simultaneously or did it, yeah, is it, it derive from square dancing? I don't think so. Clogging? Like, like stepping's got to be the same impulse. Like let's get the young people out of trouble by dancing. Right. But in, you know, in different communities and with a kind of dance that's actually good. Right. That would be, that would be the main, the main difference, I guess. And at, at this time, as this, so organizations grow up around, what becomes known as MWSD, Modern Western Square Dancing. We used to do a lot of MWSD back in the day. I feel at, like at raves. Yeah, I feel like sitting on a hay barrel and or sitting on a hay bale and tapping your foot would be more fun if you were on MWSD. For sure, for sure, it would. <laughs> uh, your chewing tobacco takes on a whole new tactile. I'm coming up on that second shot. Your tongue is right just now. like blah, 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 blah. Uh, and so organizations form. To institute MWSD, and like any like any um, dance fad, it's easy to learn because someone is telling you a guy with a fiddle or a voice on a gramophone is telling you what to do uh, at every point. Typically, the music would be live. You know, if you could get in a fiddler, you would. Right. So a caller is telling you what to do at at every point. So right. it's you know there's there's a very low barrier to entry. So MWSD clubs start up all over the country and start to push this idea that this kind of newly created you know, World War II era pastiche. Yeah, chimera hybrid thing is an American folk dance. Huh. Uh, and it gets a lot of opposition, mostly from dance purists. Anybody who knows about dancing is like, no, no, no. You know, uh, you know, there, there's clogging, there's Texas two step, there's all these regional square dances, but this is not a square dance. You're just doing some kind of barn or country dancing. I love that the original hipsters might have been dance purists from the 1930s. I was doing Texas two-step before it was cool. Uh, I was reading a, um, a library, former Library of Congress librarian named Juliet Mangin, who's, who's written a lot about this. And, uh, you know, she was, the dance purists, she says, were angry that these people were endorsing a lifestyle more than a clearly defined form of dance. Oh. Like they were redefining square dancing as anything you do with a fiddle and a bale of hay, no right. matter what the steps are. And so she'd be saying, no, no, you, you, that, that's just clogging. No, no, that's just line dancing. That's not even, but that square dancing became like you're saying, uh, an ethos, a, a cultural marker yeah. instead yeah, yeah. of an actual bit of choreography. And it's a version of the melting pot story, the American melting pot, except what is extruded on the other end is a kind of toothpaste. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not something that ever existed before. Sometimes you take the best of all these traits and you get something good. And I'm not saying square dancing is bad, but you but you uh, but Henry Ford and whatever this process was like filtered out all the ethnicity, yeah. including what would have been Scots Irish ethnicity, right? But any kind of relationship to African dance or or any dance that would be that's any, I mean, any darker than the family circus. So Henry, this was not a coincidence. Henry Ford 
by specifically by design, when he says, I want to bring back Americana, what he means is, I hate the jazz age. <laughs> I, I don't like the Charleston. I don't right. like jazz. And he's not just a fuddy-duddy saying, eh, what is with these dances they're doing? He has a theory. Here's a quote from Henry Ford. Popular music is a Jewish monopoly. Heard that theory. (laughs) (laughs) That theory hasn't died. (laughs) Maybe you've heard it from musicians. Jazz is a Jewish creation. Have you heard that theory? Oh, for sure. (laughs) Are you always saying that? Uh, Well, I mean, you know, you can't study American music without hearing this this argument time and time again that that it's been the Jews the whole time. Uh, You know, the Nazis made that argument when they outlawed jazz was that it was a, a further attempt on the part of the Jews to... Um, undermine the purity of Western culture in order to destroy it by creating a generation of libertines that lost their, you know, that lost their, uh, their sort of pure, industrious, moral uprightness, German and Scandinavian ways. Uh, yeah, I was just reading up on this, uh, the kind of the, the short spate of Hollywood movies, musicals of the 40s that had all black casts. And these movies are great because you can actually see, it was like the only time you can see Lena Horne and Cab Calloway and Louis Armstrong, you know, these amazing dancers doing the, and artists of all kinds doing their thing. Right. Otherwise there would be no record of it. But all these movies. But all, all of the producers were Hollywood Jews. And the composers as well. Like some of them were, they came from Broadway musicals. You know, as soon as jazz became the vernacular, all these young composers loved this stuff and they wanted to write stuff in these blues and jazz and soul vernaculars. And so, you know, all these shows, Cabin in the Sky, all these hit shows were written by Jewish musicians and lyricists who just could not wait to take a crack at jazz. Well, and there's a lot of African-American anti-Semitism that's, a, that's kind of tied to this idea that their music and culture was exploited by... Yeah, who, who were the club owners and the ex- record executives at the time when all these guys were getting paid pennies? Right. Um, so Henry Ford, I'm in the middle of a, of an amazing Henry Ford quote. <laughs> oh, sorry. Go ahead. Start again. Jazz is a Jewish creation. The mush, the slush, the sly suggestion, the abandoned sensuousness of sliding notes are of Jewish origin. Oh, it's a klezmer argument. It is. It's, it's actually a musical argument, not a business one. Interesting. That you're seeing the influence of the, yeah. of, the you know, of the shtetl when you hear a, a clarinetist <laughs> or a saxophone. Sure, all these crazy triplets and whoa. I don't think this is actually true, by no, the no, way. No, 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 but, 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 but in his mind, this is what he's hearing. Like, oh, no, the Jews now have the blacks. Yeah, right. Well, and I, I mean, I've heard all kinds of creative arguments about modern art, for instance, being another attempt to subvert... Uh, uh, to subvert the rational world and to turn it into this world of um, what would be like figure, like suggestively uh, art that, that because it needed interpretation became um, susceptible to a Jewish interpretation, (laughs) which was a psychological interpretation, which again, like destabilized, Culture and government. As long as this is a painting of a forest, we can all agree Germany exactly. has beautiful forests. Exactly. But, but you're just showing me a bunch of squares. As soon as it's a bunch of globs, then uh, then you might as well just throw uh, aristocratic life right out the window. And that's where you get, you know, I think it's 
apocryphal, but the story of Goering saying that when he hears the word culture, he reaches for his Browning because right. like he thinks it's all he thinks it's all a trap. Meanwhile, someone's was, trying to trick him. He was g- taking all the Gogans uh, and, <laughs> and storing them under his mansion. Yoink. Hi, it's the herd. This just in. It's officially fall, and that means a lot of things to a lot of people. The leaves are changing colors. Time to break out the pumpkins, break out the football, and most importantly, break out the truly hard seltzer. Truly has only 100 calories, but has 5% ABV and only one gram of sugar per container. It's the can't miss drink of the season, so pick up truly hard seltzer today. Truly, drink what you truly want. So Henry Ford has black workers, you know, he's got a, you know, largely African-American workforce coming up from the South and he feels like he can stop the jazz age in its tracks. If he just has these, um, you know, his working class people who are Scotch Irish, they're immigrant people, they're, um, black families moving North. You know, if he can just get square dancing to catch on, maybe everything will be okay. Oh, so he's, he's doing the, he's doing the assimilationist sort of, uh, it doesn't matter where you're from as long as you're a, as long as you do as long as you're a Presbyterian, <laughs> as long as you like fiddle music, you're okay. Uh, and so this is really how the square dancing boom begins. These, wow. these, these clubs start up all over and they, in the 20th century, they ran a concerted campaign to get state and eventually federal legislatures to make square dancing an official American folk dance. Wow. They're lobbying Congress. America has very few official symbols. You know, states are often will have a state, state bird donut and a, and, a, yeah. and a state fossil and a state marine mammal and a state amphibian. You know, legislatures love doing this but stuff. But we have a national bird. We got a bird. And we have a national, like a seal. There is the old, or we do not have, oh, I, I, not, thought, not, I, thought, not, I was thinking of the marine mammals. Not a seal, but a seal, right? A, yeah. a crest. There is a, there is a crest and a, and a anthem and a flag. Right. And, and the bald bird. eagle. And there's a few lesser known ones. Congress in a moment of weakness made the bison, the American mammal. Okay. I'm with it. And it made the American beauty rose, the national ornamental flower. I guess or I knew that. And that's about it. Like, Except for that, we have resisted the impulse to be like, what's the American uh, casserole? Right. And I assume it's because regionalism makes it very difficult. Macaroni and cheese yeah, with you, hamburger, I yeah, think. Yeah, I mean, if you, try to, if you try to let Minnesota decide the state casserole, you're going to piss off Ugh. somebody in the Carolinas who wants sweet potato in it. Right. And then, and then you know, that's never going to get out of committee. So the size of America has kept this down. Turkey dinner is the American dinner. Turkey dinner. Turkey dinner. Gotcha. You can put a lot of different things in turkey dinner. If you want sweet potato, you can put it in there. I mean, so I prefer vague, stuffing. You're just vague on the side dishes. You just call it turkey dinner, and everybody's got and turkey everybody, dinner. You know, and, and if, you, if you want to picture mac and cheese as a side, you can picture there it. There it is. Green beans you can put in there. Uh, but uh, Creamed onions if you're a monster. But there's this concerted attempt to get square dancing now that it has this kind of fake veneer of, of national... Mm-hmm. approval and as you were saying nationalism mm-hmm. stamped on it because if you think about it it's also a very militaristic i mean you're, you're basically someone is calling cadence and you're, and you're marching. marching in a square right so it's henry ford's not wrong there's not a lot of syncopation <laughs> or swing uh, no we're, we're being kept from a lot of sensuous influences when we're square dancing it's basically a napoleonic military strategy <laughs> uh and so this campaign just goes on for decades. Please, can we get, just get Congress to make square dancing the national folk dance? And when this fails, uh, 
I, I guess uh, at at one point in the early Reagan administration, uh, Robert Byrd, oh, DWV, D hyphen WV hyphen KKK, you know, kind of the last of these great hundred year old Southern Democrats, uh, is able to get uh, this bill out of committee that for one year in 1982. Square dancing, this made-up hodgepodge square dancing, will be America's national folk dance. They 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 uh, they quashed the Equal Rights Amendment, <laughs> and they were like, "What can we do?" Well, the problem is they only had time for one. Uh-huh. They were like, "What should we do today? Should we get the Equal Rights Amendment passed, or should we get a national folk dance?" And Reagan, of course, happily signs this. So for all of 1982, America did have a national folk dance, really? and I believe it happened again in '93, early in the the first Bush administration. But except for that, the square dancing people were unable to get this permanently on the books. So what happened? So it was on there for a little while, but it didn't. Somebody somebody signed a proclamation. Right. I'm sure there were a bunch of square dancers looking over Reagan's shoulder as he's holding the pen. But Congress had to authorize it, and they never did. Well, Congress would have had to authorize it in a permanent way. They right. they did authorize it for 1982. I see. But nobody wanted. I think nobody wanted to see this as a permanent addition. <laughs> <laughs> right. We now have an eighth national symbol, and it's a little embarrassing. It's Henry Ford's made-up thing <laughs> that middle schoolers have to do. So you know, thwarted by by this uh, co- blockage in Congress, uh, the MWSD clubs ran a very successful campaign on state legislatures, and in fact, most of the states that have made square dancing a an official state symbol did so post like 1980s whoa like this is very very recently to us this is in our lifetimes uh there's been a boomlet of states being lobbied to make square dancing and i think the subtext is still the same eliminate blockage (laughs) well blackage (laughs) oh like you know like you guys don't like gangster rap right you guys like don't you hate your kids music don't you hate to see breakdancing? Like, don't you hate the Lombada? Sure, get them back in the square. Don't you hate crunking and twerking? Like, what could be better than crunking? Free- <laughs> I'm now making I'm now making things up. Uh, like, what could be better than to have this unimpeachably American tradition on your state law books? And right. and nobody knows it's it's all a fraud. And that concludes Square Dancing. Entry 1211.jb2111. Certificate number 42537 in the Omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, and we never would have predicted it lasted this long... And honestly, it didn't. It just, it morphed into something unrecognizable. Just like square dancing. All it took was one crazy billionaire, except in this case, it was Zuckerberg. Right. Ten years from now, uh, we still may be tweeting. We need Zuckerberg to get on the radio show every night and be like, it's the Facebook posting hour with the Zuckerberg (laughs) Orchestra. (laughs) Everybody do some good Facebook posts. Right. Well, it's not going to eliminate the suspicion that the Jews are... Uh, are in charge of our, uh, the degradation of American society. I, I think it's too late for that. Uh, well, let's hope that Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are long gone and replaced with something moral and American, distinctly American. We're still trying to export our culture to the rest of the world to Americanize them, 
And, uh, and we haven't made it up yet. Yeah, we're struggling. <laughs> it's like it's like the uh, the factory that's or the trying to get the product out when you're still putting the finishing touches that's on. That's right. We, we are still in beta. <laughs> we have not figured out what America is definitely in beta. We haven't figured out what our culture is, but we, you need to have it now. Anyway, if you want to know what our culture is, it's at Omnibus Project on all so- social media. Uh, also at Ken Jennings, where he is constantly lobbing grenades of uh, lobbing grenades into the culture. He's uh, he's taking on Nancy Pelosi. I put on my V for Vendetta mask every yep. day, and I crack my knuckles, and I get to work on Twitter. There you go. You're out there anonymousing. Uh, I am at John Roderick, and I'm just uh, I am clean as a whistle. I'm just talking about mini pearl jokes and you're thrifting, quoting the Bible. You're leaving the G's off your gerunds. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, where I uh, I promote the. The belief, the doctrine that everyone on Instagram should periodically, I don't mean all the time, but every once in a while post a selfie because anyone who's following you does not care about your dog or your flowers or the food you're cooking. What they care about is you and they want to see your face. You're a walking, talking monkey selfie. So every once in a while I'll post a selfie. I'm not afraid to do it. I'm a middle-aged guy who wants you to see me. Now, I don't really want you to see me. I do it as a public service. You have attractive privilege. You're a good-looking 50-year-old man. Come on, that's not true. No, it, it is. I look like a I look like a pile of dirty clothes with a with an uncooked scallop in the middle. Part of you does, but you cut off the picture above that point. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what you're doing. I always I always uh, frame the picture just right above my little belly. The scallop line. Yeah. Uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm going to encourage you to email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. We will read your emails, and uh, we're going to comment on them on our bonus episode available to Patreon uh, contributors. We are at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. If you've been thinking, you know what? I enjoy this endeavor. I, maybe I should be a contributor. Yeah. Now would be the perfect time because we've rolled out uh, fabulous perks and prizes. Right. A new a new thing that only uh, subscribers can hear, which is Ken and I continuing to dissect whether or not the Jews are bad for America. They are by the way, we're on the record that they are not. They are not. If we were too ambiguous before. Right. And if you are going to send us any kind of anti-Semitic theory, be assured we will not read it. Maybe we shouldn't save that for the outro. Oh. Okay. I mean, like, <laughs> what I'm saying is from now on, maybe we should, maybe, because what if people don't listen to the outro and we can just say, well, in the outro, we were very clear that we're not anti-Semites. Do you want, do you think we should put it in the intro? Like, hello, welcome <laughs> to the Omnibus Project. We are not anti-Semites. <laughs> Every single show should start with our deep respect and love for Once Judaism. Once again, we would like to reassert. It's odd that we keep having to do this. Yes. <laughs> but just for the record. We got another letter. <laughs> Uh, you can go to our Facebook group and uh, hang out with the Futurelings, who are great. They're hilarious. And uh, you can send us raw materials. You can send us your rare earths, your uh, the makings of complex chemistries and uh, bomb-making materials. Do not do not send us bomb-making materials. Uh, you can send us your, your grandfather's old Krugerans that he left to you in a box that you're not sure what to do with. To P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe that will end us all may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, 
could be our very final word to you. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. travel to recover from heartbreak to trace your dna escape the internet on our podcast a way to go we've been exploring all the reasons we travel i'm gerilyn gerba i'm pavia rosati and together we're the founders of travel website fathom and we've already heard so many great stories such as an actress in rural kenya explaining the ins and outs of safe sex a graffiti artist tagging the islands of southeast asia a producer arranging high fashion photo shoots in the desert listen to a way to go on the iHeartRadio app on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts